Hi, and welcome to another episode of That Podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Bo. And how's it going, man? It's uh, It's been a good while. Yeah, I think you said that it's been since May since we recorded last. Yeah, since we recorded properly. I think we, we, we might have recorded like half an episode at some point or something. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's been a very busy summer for me. I don't know how it's been for you. What what, what have you been up to? Uh, lots of camping, uh, which is awesome. I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned in May that we got our tent. And so that was really cool over the summer holidays. That's about it, really. We uh, went to Portugal for a couple of weeks. That was lovely. And other than that, I've been hanging out with the family and working. Yeah, that's it. Nice. Yeah, I know we we'd planned on maybe trying to camp with you or something over the summer or meeting somewhere in the middle and my family would probably end up in a hotel or something. <laughs> but, yeah. um, yeah. It, I'll tell you what, one of the things we've struggled with was finding campsites sort of in your area. Mm. And I don't know I th- if it feels like now, if you were to see a hotel in this day and age that didn't offer online booking, you'd be flabbergasted, right? You'd be like, Mm -hmm. how are they even managing to survive as a business? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Whereas campsites, I think they're still maybe 10 years behind because for every one that does online booking, you know, through like a a site that like the equivalent of hotels.com for campsites, Mm -hmm. there must be five or six that don't. And if you want to find them, you've got to go on word by mouth or look on, look through 20 different websites rather than, you know, just go into one or two of the big hotels ones like we do now. Uh, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it seems like there are a few in the Cotswolds in that area, but there weren't that many. Not like it is, or not that not easily found ones anyway. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, so um, we've been digging through some boxes, and uh, just today Beck was saying, why do we have so much camping gear when we never go camping? <laughs> Right. That's kind of a, a running theme for us for the last, you know, week as we've been unpacking is that, you know, we lived we lived in the UK for seven months and then we on either side of that we we traveled and basically lived out of suitcases for, you know, two two months on each side. And we were fine. And the, but we've had this whole big storage unit full of stuff and we didn't need it. <laughs> we didn't need it for the last year or so. Why do we have all of it? We're unpacking it now. And we're like just shaking our heads. Like, why did we have, we have like two, we have at least one tent, but we have like three or four sleeping bags and whole boxes of camping gear that, you know, we've probably used twice. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. It just happens, isn't it? I mean, yeah. I've actually, I've got a, I've got a, an espresso machine on eBay at the minute. Um, mm-hmm. We got it at some point, and somehow it ended up in the the loft or the attic, as you would call it. Yeah. And and since then, I bought one of those uh, Nespresso machines, so we use that all day. Mm-hmm. And I have this rule. Um, you see, now I'm the only one who goes up in the the loft. We don't have a decent loft ladder or anything like that. Uh, so Rebecca's always given me stuff to put up there, and I put stuff up as well. To be fair, but I have a rule that if I'm putting something up. I have to bring something down because uh, it's yeah. so full of junk up there. So the rule is I put something up, then I have to get something down and deal with it mm-hmm. somehow, whether that's taking it to the tip or putting, selling it on eBay because you just acquire so much. I mean, we've still got uh, things like, I think we've still got a, a, a pram, a baby's pram up there. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, you know, all kinds of things like that. 
Yeah, we had a uh, Luke's um, crib from when he was first born that he eventually grew out of, and we got a, a proper bed for him, um, like, a month before we decided to move out of this place. Uh, it's actually my, my mom got it for him. Um, so we've, we've had this baby crib that like had extra pieces cause it was kind of a convertible. It was originally a crib and then you take the side off and it's yeah. just this big, huge, huge mess of stuff. And, um, so I'm, I'm happy to say that when we went to the storage unit, I was said, do we really need that? And she said, no. <laughs> so uh, we, we, we're, 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 she's being a lot more brutal than she had been in the past, which is nice because, uh, we really could stand to to trim some of that stuff, and so yeah, we 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 have boxes of baby stuff as well. That's just like, why do we have this anymore? Yeah, and yeah. there's all sorts up there, and even stuff where it's not even worth keeping. But I didn't mm. at the time. I didn't. I wasn't able to dispose of it, so we like yeah, chucked it in the loft to get it out of the way, and mm-hmm. and then to be honest, I'll be honest though, I've got so much garbage and junk that I don't want to get rid of. Um, Really silly reasons and just nostalgic reason, reasons and uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I've been pretty brutal as well. I've, I probably condensed maybe six or seven boxes of miscellaneous office gadgets and toys and whatever into two boxes that went to Goodwill, and then a bunch of the rest of it's like just getting trashed. So it's uh, I've, I've been being pretty brutal as well because I, I have a nasty habit of that. I, I was showing you my desk earlier and I brought out like. Oh my DJ, half of my DJ gear just to try and get this recording set up for today. I was like, hey, I have this stuff that I can just like Frankenstein put it all together. But you know, when you don't have that last piece to make it work, it's like, why do I even have this all junk? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got so many books as well, uh, and you just can't give them away. A lot of them, people just don't want them. This is the okay. Like, have you seen these um, these websites that will take you used? DVDs and books and games and things, and you can you can download an app that scans the barcodes and it'll tell you how much they're worth. And it's like scanning books; it's like one in ten is maybe worth fifty pence or something like that. And it's and just the rest like, they just don't want. Yeah, they literally don't want. And, wow! And it just feels so wasteful because some of them are actually quite nice books as well. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, it just seems like too many, and uh, I don't know. So on that, my um, I'm I'm going through my boxes, and we're we're back in the U.S., which is different than it was before. Um, so that's why we didn't get a camp together, is because we ended up leaving right around the time that we were going to be able to get together. So, um, yeah. So that's a big change. That's probably a big reason why we haven't recorded lately. I think that um, I sent out a message yesterday on Twitter saying that. Uh, you know, what What would people want to hear us talk about? And I think it was Toll said, um, or Till, sorry, Till, what What have you been up to? <laughs> what, what have we been up to? And so, yeah, we've, you've been doing a lot of stuff, you know, with like camping and, and things. And I've been spending almost that entire time on the road, moving uh, basically back from the UK to the US. So um, hopefully things will start getting on a more reasonable schedule for us if if I'm kind of in a stable spot and, you know, if we're coming out of summertime, we'll probably have more, more chances to get together and not be away for weeks at a time. Yeah, definitely. Um, my schedule is a lot clearer than it has been for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if I mentioned it on the last show or not, but, uh, my wife, Rebecca 
has had enough of teaching and decided to stop cheating for a while. Uh, so at the minute, um, she's not working, which uh, has made my life a bit easier. And basically, because she's doing the school run in the afternoon, uh, and well, and taking responsibility for most of the kids' things, you know, taking them swimming, taking them to dance class, taking them uh, mm. to all the places that they go. And so I'm getting more, much more of a normal nine till five working day done. I leave my evenings free to do things like record podcasts or just actually sit down and read or watch telly and things mm. like that. So, so yeah, well, hopefully my schedule will be nice and uh, stable, should I say, for nice. podcast recording. How How is she adjusting to uh, the new life? She's so happy. Yeah. Um, occasionally she feels guilty about it. Um, I mean, I, she shouldn't, but it just, it, it, it's weird. I think one of the things when, when she was telling people that she was leaving, it was like, everyone was saying, oh, so what are you going to do next? And she was mm-hmm. just kind of saying, well, nothing for, for now, <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause I mean, she's, it's not like she's never going to work again. It's just that she, right now she wasn't enjoying a teaching job. Mm-hmm. And she, we're in a position where she could take a break. So she has, she's done loads of decorating in the house. Uh, she's been a bit mad on that. <laughs> and she started, um, writing a bit. She, she's always wanted to write novels, um, but never had the time or the confidence, uh, to do it. She, um, I'm, so I'm trying to encourage her. So she's not actually started writing yet, but she started planning and writing ideas down and stuff like that. So that's kind of nice. I'm hoping something will come from that. Even if she does, does something, regardless of how successful she might be uh in fact um next month is nanorimo national novel writing month <laughs> and it's um it's like a like a big social mm-hmm. everyone encourage each other to write a short novel in november nice so i think she's going to try and participate in that so that's kind of cool yeah, there's no stress. Uh, she's getting to spend two full days during the week with Rowan uh, when he's not at uh, preschool, which is lovely because he'll start school proper in uh, this time next year. Hmm. So it's kind of like his last year before he starts school. So she's going to enjoy that time with him, I think. It'll be really nice for her. That's cool. Yeah, awesome. so that's it. Like I said, not a lot to report. She's just, she's just happy. That's cool. That's good. It's a slight oh. change for us in terms of like income because she mm-hmm. she was a t- teacher. She'd been teaching for uh, twelve years, so she's on a good salary, even though she was part time. Uh, so we're missing that a little bit, but we sort of planned for it well, and so far so good. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, happy on that front as well. Cool. Yeah. So on on job changes, um, I've recently started uh, a new gig. I've been uh, working with Sensio Labs as a solutions architect. Yeah, it's really exciting. exciting. Yeah, it's uh, a brand new team that's uh, being started here in the U.S. uh, to focus on the U.S. market. And I think we're also, we're basically the the English-speaking team. So countries that primarily focus on English will also probably do do, uh, a fair share of work there as well. So like U.K. clients and things like that. It's a chance that that we'll be able to work with them as well. So, yeah, it's uh it's been a lot of fun. the The U.S. team consists of uh, Fabian, um, 
uh, a guy named Scott on the East Coast and Ryan Weaver. Um, so and and myself. So it's been it's yeah. been a lot of fun to try it's, and. Try it's a bit of a bit of a super group, is that I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 pretty exciting because uh, a lot of people are excited about it, and we're all excited to be working together. So it's good. Uh, it's been good. It's been very good. I actually got to um, be a. I, I attended Madison PHP last this this last weekend um, as a vendor for the first time. So I was I was at a conference as a vendor for the first time. Um, so I, and it was it's the first time I was at as a vendor, and I was all by myself. So I kind of had to do it all on my own. Um, and I think I think it went all right. It was a lot of fun. I got to see a lot of people. Got to talk to a lot of people. And yeah, I think that I think that Sensio Labs has a, a long ways to go to sort of uh, increase its presence over here. Um, because uh, like what the, the thing that I noticed that kind of surprised me was um, the, the the booth was basically half Sensio Labs, half Blackfire. And everybody asked about Blackfire, and nobody asked anything about Sensio Labs, really. Um, so everyone like just came right up and talked about Blackfire. Oh, what's Blackfire? They either knew what Sensio Labs was and, and didn't think it applied to them or was interesting to them, or they didn't know what it was, and there was someone standing next to Blackfire, and they, they wanted to know what that was. So it was, it was interesting to sort of see this these dynamics sort of play out in in an environment I haven't really been in before. So it's it's going to be a good good experience for me, I think. Yeah, it sounds really cool. I'm I'm excited for you. So yeah, just going just going back to that. So Blackfire is like a product, and it's cool cool name. Mm-hmm. I I don't know how much brand development they do on Sensio Labs because it's kind of hard. Because no matter how much hard you try, as a a vendor promoting products, you've got to do both, haven't you? You mm-hmm. you, you want to name you want to raise awareness about your brand name, but also mm, depends on which way you're going. You know, because Blackfire is also just like Symphony. You know. Symphony is much more understood, or more mm-hmm. people are more aware of Symphony as a brand than they are Sensio Labs as a brand. So, yeah, I I, I see a lot of parallels with the Laravel ecosystem uh, because there was Laravel, which was a framework, and and Symphony was a framework, and then they came uh, Laravel sort of came out with Laravel Forge, and Taylor learned that that meant people thought that it was just for Laravel projects. So then he came out with Envoyer. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. Laravel Envoyer. It was just Envoyer. And I've sort of seen the exact same thing with the Sensio Labs rollout because the first first of their services, I think, was the Insights project. And it was Sensio Labs Insights. And then I don't know if they had the same... I, I feel like I know more about uh, Taylor's uh, path there because he's actually talked about it. But I've seen the same thing where now the, the second product that Sensio Labs came out with, they did Blackfire and didn't... You know, they really downplayed any sort of relationship with Sensio Labs itself. Um, so yeah, I, I, I seeing those sort of market things happen on in, in two prod or two similar sort of vertical markets was was kind of interesting to me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so um, Blackfire is actually pretty cool. I've 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 actually have, have you used it yet? I think I've only toyed around with like a demo. I've not used it in earnest. Yeah, I, I've I've only used it for a handful of of projects, um, but anytime I've used it, it's been like super nice. It's one of those things where I wish I used it more often. Um, but yeah, it's it's actually pretty cool. And um, actually, being a person that gives the demos now, like I can actually like walk through it and actually show people a lot easier. And I think it's one. Of, I I feel like we talked about this actually in one of our past episodes that 
Uh, so I, I worked on a project last year that I did it. It was the first time I used Blackfire. And I didn't understand that it was like per request. I thought it was going to be like a continuous thing. And it seems to be something that everyone uh, comes up, confuse it, or or they think it's going to be like New Relic or something like that, where it's always running and always reporting stuff. And they get confused when they when they see one-off profiling happening. Um, so I, I don't know. It's, uh, I, is it, do you know of any other products even similar to it that are like services like that? Uh, they just do the profiling. Yeah. No, I think... I think they all tend to sort of move on to a bit of monitoring as well, but mm-hmm. I don't know how much. You see, because you can't, you can't have always on profiling to the degree that they have in Blackfire because yeah. it would absolutely murder everything, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. So all of them that I know of sample, at least you know, so it's not really true monitoring, and because um, there's um. Is it Tideways? Is the other one in the PHP space that's similar to this, to Blackfire? Uh, that's from the uh, Benjamin, Eberly, and uh, I can't remember the other people. There's two or three of them in the, the consultancy, isn't there? Um, I know of one in the Rails world, um, but I can't remember its name right now. Um, Yehuda Katz, I want to say Katz, I can't remember his name. Um, I'm sure he has one, something like Skyliner or something like that. Yeah. But but I think that's again, it's a bit more continuous than Blackfire is. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I can't remember. Yeah, it's it just it's it seems like it's an interesting model because not a lot of people are doing it like the like the way that they've they've done it. So I think that it has a problem in the marketplace because nobody really understands that it's different than those. Mm. Um, so I don't know, and and you see things that just seem a little confusing. Like if you don't understand what's actually happening behind the scenes, it it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So um, yeah, so I mean the documentation is is pretty decent, but you actually have to read it. So they mm. they also have a um, Fabian published a book called Twenty Four Days of Blackfire, um, which actually is I think there's an online version of it as well that you can get for free. But um, I had a little stack of those to do. To look at, but just to look at all the things that it does, like the the big problem I think that they have is that it does a lot of things, but people don't necessarily know how to do them. So that's kind of going to be my role on on the Blackfire side is to help people who purchase the higher end plans to actually leverage those more complicated pieces and how to work it into their uh, continuous integration environments and things like that. So I'm probably going to have to learn all sorts of uh, obscure. Uh, Continuous integration platforms, continuous deployment platforms, and figure out how all of these different things work. So maybe even some more DevOpsy things, which will be kind of kind of a nice treat for me. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, as far as other Sensio-ish things, I got to go to Symphony Live London this year, and um, I got to deliver my first keynote. I know. Fun. Congratulations. Thank you. That was that was a lot of fun. I um, I I'd, I'd kind of hoped this year I would drive to to London because <laughs> <laughs> we hadn't done that before. I I think I think you and I have been there. The, well, I'd been there the two previous years, and those two years you were there. I don't know if that was your first times as well. Um, but yeah, it's every other time I've had to fly across the ocean to go to Symphony Live London, and this time I was going to drive two hours, but it didn't work out that way. 
but I had a lot, I had a lot of fun. Um, it was also a, a conference where I, um, since it's, since I did the first talk of the day instead of the last talk of the day, which seems like I'm always the last talk of the day, I got to, um, basically relax and hang out at the conference the rest of the day, which was pretty nice. Um, so I, I would say over the last year, I'd been trending toward the direction of just kind of like ghosting. Like I, I would show up for like 20 minutes before my talk and then I disappear 20 minutes after and you might not see me otherwise. Uh, just so I'd be like hiding in my room. Uh, but not this time. So I was, I was actually there all the way from early in the morning until I actually went to the, um, uh, the social. <laughs> mm. I, I, you know, the past two years we hadn't because they were at that busy bar on Whitehall and, we had our families and we're like, yeah, let's just not go in tonight. <laughs> so I actually got to do that. So it was, it was, a, it was all in all, it was a very different, but exciting experience. Um, yeah, it was good. Oh, cool. Yeah. I suppose, uh, you better get used to being sort of at the conference all day. Cause it's going to be almost part of your remit now. If you're, uh, yep. <laughs> for that, you need to be there and mingling and mm-hmm. doing the sales thing. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so it'll, it'll be good. And I thought the talk went well. Um, I got to give uh, a talk called Unglue All the Things that I've sort of had in mind since probably right around the time I met you. Um, and I think I pitched the idea of the talk at one point back in Silex IRC. And you had said, try to do something more positive, I think. Might have been you, maybe it was someone else. But so, someone gave me the, the idea that the the, the whole concept of the talk was maybe a little too negative <laughs> uh at least from the from terms of the abstract in my original title and all of that but it, it was a lot of fun i i think that the overall theme that i picked up from the talks that i went to um was that people are kind of always changing their minds about what's best practices um i, I think we talked about that with uh, matthias last year too um uh, because he, he was giving a talk that he had pitched like a year earlier that he didn't necessarily feel the same way anymore, or it was like counter to the talk that he had delivered the previous year. Um, and I sort of felt that that way as well. Like by the time I finally gave this talk about, you know, developing framework agnostic packages, I had very much kind of stepped back a bit from like my hardline opinions that I had like three years ago or four years ago or five years ago on it. Um, and I think, uh, Karen did one as well um, on uh, consciously conscious coupling. I think it was, uh, you know, deciding when it makes sense to couple things to frameworks versus just always being anti-framework or whatever. So it was interesting to just to sort of see this general path of people giving talks that were maybe uh, like against what they would have talked about the previous year or the year before. So it was, it was a lot of, it was kind of a neat, um, Neat little little thing to start seeing happen in that community. Mm. Yeah, well, that, I think I think you're right. Um, everyone definitely changes their minds about everything mm-hmm. constantly. Uh, me, uh, no less than anyone else. Uh, but mm-hmm. but yeah, I I was actually supposed to be at a conference this weekend, just gone. Um, and I was supposed to be at another one at the end of the month as well. Uh, so I was supposed to be at. PHP Northwest over the weekend, and I was supposed to be going to PHP Scotland towards the end of the month. But when it came to it, um, I I'd got my tickets some time ago, and I needed to book uh travel and accommodation, and it wasn't going to be super expensive, but it was going to run up several hundred pounds. Mm-hmm. And I really just did not feel like going. Um, 
the the I mean the lineups looked quite good, but it just nothing really interested me. You know, I was thinking, oh yeah, it might be good for a lot of people, but it just didn't really spark yeah. any kind of excitement for me. And particularly PHP Northwest, uh, there were several. I knew there were several people who I usually see at that conference who weren't going to be there. Uh, so that was a bit like, oh, so I won't even get to see some old friends and stuff. So I was a bit like, just kind of deflated about it, and I, I decided rather than dragging myself there, I decided to give them both a miss. So I actually um, gave away my tickets to both. Um, so at least uh, it, it's not like they're not going to be an empty seat. So that's kind of mm-hmm. cool. But but yeah, I just I, again I, I'm not particularly excited about going to any kind of conference at the minute. In fact, I've been I've been talking about it on IRC for a while. I'm kind of like, I'm not particularly excited about programming at the minute. I, I like the idea of keeping the business ticking and making technology that, that does stuff, but programming itself just doesn't really interest me as much as it might have once, hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, I'm still programming all day every day and I don't really dislike it but I find it hard to get excited about so so yeah so I don't know the next time I'll be at a conference we'll see yeah PHP PHP Northwest was another one that I was excited to be a local for so I bought it I bought an early bird ticket and um, it seems like every other year um, PHP Northwest is sold out but I think that there were a lot of people in your position uh, for whatever reason, deciding this year you either needed to bail or didn't want to go, uh, or Brexit or something, um, or the <laughs> fact that there's the Scotland conference now the next weekend, or or um, DrupalCon Ireland just across the water. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the, like I think that was like what the same the week before PHP Northwest, like the the week leading up to the weekend that PHP Northwest happened. Um, they're just like conference overload and yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think DrupalCon Ireland, I think Michael, uh, Michael Cullen was, I think he, he was in charge of the PHP track. Like they had a dedicated PHP track this year. Um, so like that was even more geared toward general purpose PHP. So there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, so yeah, I ended up. I think I ended up giving my ticket away as well. But it was hard. It was hard even to give it away. Um, yeah, it was. It was difficult. So yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, I, I had a quick look on joined in, and it seemed like everyone seemed to enjoy themselves and stuff. Or at least I was looking at the um, the ratings for all the talks. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm sure it was as good as it ever was. It just maybe I don't know. Maybe it's not quite as exciting for a lot of people as it once was. Mm. But One know. of the things that was interesting about uh, Symphony Live London was um, at the end, Anne Sophie asked the audience, you know, how many people is this your first time here? And yeah. I, it felt like everybody raised their hands. Like I was shocked. I was like blown away how many people were there that had never been there before, um, which was really cool. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know with what the, if like, the conferences are getting to a point where people who would go to conferences normally have been to them so many times. It's just the new people going now. Um, I don't know. It's, it'd be interesting to see if there's some sort of like trend forming. 
I know mm. that some of the U.S. conferences have been uh, having some issues with uh, attendance, uh, like get, actually getting people to sign up. Symphony Live Chicago was straight up canceled. Uh, yeah, I saw they, that. Yeah, they only had, um, I think I could say, because I think Fabian talked about it publicly on Twitter, they only had 14 people sign up for it. Um, and they were like a month out from the conference, and they hadn't even closed the CFP yet, or they hadn't announced CFP winners yet, and they canceled it because there wasn't enough interest. Um, it's hard. It's hard to know in that case if that's a marketing thing. Is it? Uh, um, you know, I think Symphony Live in the U.S. anyway has always been sort of quiet and it's kind of small. Like you, you were at the one in Portland, and comparing, you know, the Portland audio, uh, the Symphony Live part of that, and the DrupalCon Portland side of that was like no contest. Like it was, <laughs> it was it was a track if at best um, compared to DrupalCon. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, the States is a massive place and Symphony's still fairly small in the States compared to how big it is in Europe. Yeah. Um, and the Symphony Lives are slightly smaller than the Symphony Con as they, as they are, aren't they? So yeah. I don't know. But the good news is that it got picked up um, and they did deal with PHP World, is it? Yep, PHP World. That's So, that's, so they're going to have a Symphony Live within the larger conference at PHP World, which is good. Yeah, yeah. So that's going to be pretty exciting. I think they're we're doing a, a training day, um, and a tutorial day, and then there there's I think there's a full track, but I don't think it's all in the same room. It's not like there's one room that's symphony. I think that um, it's just spread throughout the day. But there's usually like one. I don't think there's more than one symphony talk per 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 slot um, throughout the day. So you can you can pick and go to all the symphony talks if you want to. I actually get to go to that as a vendor again, so that, that'll be my second vendor experience. We'll be going to PHP World, so I'm I'm super excited about that too because I'll get to see a lot of people there. Um, yeah, it'll be awesome. Excellent. Yeah. So, uh, tell me about Liquid Forms, man. <laughs> Liquid Forms. Yeah. So that's that's my on again, off again project for three years now, two years. Yeah, um, at least. And I've I've tried it from scratch twice and wanted to make it good and right and do all the things that I used to think were important, that I still think are important. But I also think it's important to make money <laughs> and get something out there. So um, a couple of weeks ago, I decided to um, consider using Laravel for it and do it mostly with just Eloquent and see if I could make myself work with an active record thing to do the things I wanted to do. And I think I have it all worked out in my head. Um, you know, I've done, I've done enough Laravel work in the past to kind of know what it can do. Um, I have another, uh, contract that I'm working on as well, uh, with Jonathan Rennick. Uh, he's, uh, he helped get me, uh, another contract, which is a, uh, working on a big Laravel project. So I've sort of seen kind of the stuff that he's been able to do with that and, um, that team. And it's been pretty nice. So yeah, I, I think I can do it. I, I, or I decided, I think I can do it. Uh, decided to look into Spark uh, to see if I could get that whole thing bootstrapped. I think I'd heard Sean McCool saying that the Event Sorcery website started out as a Spark application uh, just because they wanted to get it up and running. And I had just hearing that sort of thing just really hammers home the idea that I don't need to spend time building the billing layer. I don't need to spend the time building the user and authentication stuff and the teams and all of that. Uh, so yeah, I decided to, to go with Spark. So I have the application started. Um, it's there. 
it's, I mean, it's getting there. Um, I have um, most of the model kind of planned out and actually coded. I'm not doing any tests yet, so I need to, I need to get back into t to figure out how to do the tests appropriately uh, within that sort of environment. Um, I've run into a little hiccup with uh, the team implementation. Um, when I saw, anytime I looked at the Spark demos, it looked and felt like uh, Forge and Envoyer. And both Forge and Envoyer have teams that work like GitHub, where you, you log in and you have a personal account. You can have a personal, uh, you can choose the, the package for your personal account. And then you can have teams. You can join a team and invite other users to the team. And then the team can, can have a package, potentially. And, you know, the, all of the marketing uh, said, you know, just like GitHub teams, or GitHub, uh, teams are like GitHub organizations. But once I enabled the team support, you needed to enter a team name anytime you registered an account. So every, like you could either have users and just have users, or you could have teams, but then every user had to create at least one team unless they were invited to another team. So I, I just wanted liquid form users. That's all I wanted. I didn't want there to have to, I didn't want users to have to create a team as well. So I kind of looked around a little bit and there were some weird documentation things like there's a whole section in the, the documentation about team billing and user billing at the same time. So you could define team plans and user plans, or you could define them both and have them both. And I'm like, well, how, how do I get it so that you can just have users without a team, but have them opt into it? Um, but it turns out it's not easy. <laughs> um, and um, I started asking Taylor about it. And a couple of other people kind of dogpiled on that and were like, yeah, we want that as well. Or it, we thought it was going to work like that and it doesn't. It's been kind of a pain point. Um, so Taylor's actually working on that now. So he, uh, he actually ha has his first employee. Uh, did, did you see that tweet go out that he was looking for someone? Yeah. So yeah, it was some, yeah. some time ago. Yeah. I think I asked him later how many emails he got. And I don't remember. In my head, I want to say it was like 500 or something. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure it was a lot. If someone like Taylor says, "I want, I want to hire my first employee," who is it going to be? I can only imagine how many, uh, how many people you get get from that. I, I, I figured there were a lot of uh, imposter syndrome people who wouldn't have emailed. Uh, what's the other side of the Dunning Kerning Dun Dunning Kerning man? Dunning Kruger, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Dunning Kruger. Yeah, I'm sure there were a lot of those as well. <laughs> it probably went yeah, balanced out. So. Um, I actually sent in my, my resume. I never heard back. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, I'm sure he, I'm sure he got a lot of people anyway. So his employee, I can't, can't remember what his name is. He said it this morning. I can't remember. Um, but they've, they've actually been working on it over the weekend. So, um, I, I sent him an email on the weekend and said, Hey, I was sitting here talking with Joe Ferguson about it because he's, he'd been using Spark and I've asked him a couple of questions about that. And he said that he had the same sort of discussion with Taylor in the past. So um, I said, yeah, we'd, we'd, we'd really like to know if this is something that even we could do to help because this would be a really nice feature to be able to have the, the team thing be an opt-in thing because I want to be able to offer personal plans. So, you know, whatever the, the plans turn out to be, whether it be, you know, certain number of forms for a certain number, uh, certain price per month or whatever, or a certain number of entries, but then have uh, being able to create like an organization or a team or a sub-account, essentially, uh, to let that then have its own set of plans that it can do. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, it sounds like they're they're working on it. Um, there's a couple of weird gotchas within it, but overall, I've been really impressed with Spark. 
uh, even in how it's deployed, uh, because it's its own little, uh, it has a, uh, what is it, a composer repository that's specific. Uh, I think there's some sort of OAuth key that you have to set up with the, the main Spark application that allows you to connect to that uh, repository. I think you were talking about building uh, repo box, right? Yeah, um, to be honest, there's, uh, someone's doing that now. Hmm. Um, I tweeted some of their stuff a while back. I'm trying to think. See, just quickly. I'm sure, yeah. it's called um, Satis Box, maybe. Hmm. I mean, so yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how he's doing it, but he has some sort of authentication set up. So this he's has the first instance I've seen of some sort of paid access to a private repository, private composer repository. Yeah, but even how it's deployed, it it downloads the the source code into its own directory. Uh, you can override things. Um, I don't know. It, it looks like it's been very well very well thought out. And it, in a lot of ways, it's one of the things that I wanted to do a lot with my Silex applications. I wanted to be able to take a Silex application and sort of like deploy a, an application inside of it, sort of that would integrate with whatever else you were going to be building. So I don't know. I'm going to enjoy digging into that and looking to see how he's actually building those things. So, so yeah, yeah I've, I've been super excited about Spark. I, I think it's pretty awesome, and it does leave you enough flexibility to build your own thing and eventually build yourself out of Spark if you want to. So it's cool. Yeah, it sounds pretty cool. Um, I always want those things to do more code generation. Mm. I always sort of, in my head, I'm going to build out of it eventually anyway. Yeah. So I kind of just want it to... You know, like scaffold, like imagine if it scaffolded all of that stuff for you. Like, mm-hmm. not so there's nothing in the Spark folder because Spark itself actually just scaffolds everything in your. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, yeah. You might not benefit from future upgrades, but then if you generally, if you. you, you if you can hack like I can, I think I could generally hack in anything based on, you know, because yeah. it's, all, it's all code generation and template type things. You'd mm-hmm. you'd find a way, wouldn't you? But that's kind of what it feels like with, if you don't have some sort of framework, isn't it? You end up mm-hmm. hacking your own thing together. So yeah. I, if I could generate all that stuff and then mm-hmm. put all the stuff on top that I want, I'd be happy. But Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I need to, I need to look at it more because I know that it does actually install a bunch of stuff into your directory. But the I think the other problem is that it's not something that can as easily be added to an existing Laravel application. It's not designed to be working that way. Um, so I think any of the scaffolding that it does, it does up front. It like just dumps code in there. And not like you get to configure and say there's going to be this new page or this new controller or whatever. It's just here are all of the things that you can do with mm. it. Um, so I, I don't know what the distinction is between the stuff that ends up in your local directory versus the stuff that ends up on the other side. But let me see here. Yeah, it might actually be the case that it's not bringing a lot of stuff into your code. Do you yeah. see what I mean? I want. Yeah. I want. If it has a controller that handles the um, the webhook for Stripe billing, mm-hmm. I want to see that controller in my code. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think wanna... that's. I think that's what it does because it actually creates a, a Spark directory, top-level Spark directory, not a source or app. It's called Spark, and it has all of that stuff. 
So yeah. it has a source directory, and you can go in and modify any of that stuff directly. You're, in, you're intended to. And when you do the Spark upgrade, it will update any of the files you haven't already updated. Right. So, okay. so I mean, it's, but like I said, it's not really, like, when I think of, like, scaffolding, I think of, like, our generators, like, like making a controller, like, uh, make colon controller or make colon model or whatever. Uh, it's like, here are all the pages that are already there, and it, you can't you can't tweak what's going to be generated. It's just you're going to get all of Spark. Yeah, no, that's what I I kind of yeah. want. I want I want to say to I want a tool that says, okay, here's like the sandbox, you know, or the starter mm-hmm. like layout for a project, whether mm-hmm. a frameworks project. I want yeah. the tool to then go. Imagine you spent the next three months building username, password, password reset, billing, mm-hmm. teams. Imagine I want to see that mm-hmm. just like I would have done it, albeit in the you know generic yeah. way. Mm-hmm. You know, do you see what I mean? I, yeah. I don't want to see. I only want people to. I guess if I if I, what I'm trying to say is, it, if somebody was coming into this app and look at it, the only way they'd know it was like a Spark application is from recognizing bits of code rather than seeing Spark. Yeah, I mean, I don't, nothing against Spark in particular, but that's what I'm mm, talking about. Yeah. I want this. I want this sort of application that already comes with all that stuff, just ready to go, and I'm going to customize it as I see fit from here on in, rather than uh, yeah. keep continuously loading a library. Yep, no, that makes sense. Hmm. So yeah, that's been that's been something I've been working on. Uh, I don't, I don't really like b- between moving and uh, at least two new big projects that I'm working on. I'm not trying to put myself under too much pressure. <laughs> but um, it would be great if I could get something out. I want to I want to try and push it out closer to how I did um, my raffle app that I wrote or even uh, Beck's website. Um, just get it out there so that people can start using it and seeing if I can get some feedback on it before I you know, go and spend 80 hours trying to build something and find out nobody really needs it or nobody really wants it. Uh, but I'm still getting signups on my mailing list, like probably uh, a handful a week. Um, so it's, I mean, it's by far the most active mailing list uh, thing that I have. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd love to do something with it because it, there's some interest in it. Um, so yeah, I'd like to see how that would go. Um, so I know we want to keep these things short, uh, these these recordings shorter, but I did have one more topic to talk about sort of related to some of the conference stuff we talked about before, it was uh, Kelvin Jones asked us, uh, or he, he answered the, the question of what, what does he want us to talk about, or what do you want us to talk about, with uh, talking about talks, like coming up with talks and doing speaker stuff and how to refine abstracts. And I know this is something that, that we've talked about a lot in the past, but where, where are you at with, with teaching slash speaking these days? It sounds like Sounds like you don't want to do conferences. You're not feeling like conferences are programming. So, wondering where you're at on this, the speaking side. I don't know. I don't hang on. Let me just see if I. I just have a quick open of my notes that I use for this kind of thing. Yeah, no, I haven't written anything in there for ages. I. I'm not particularly excited about anything that I'm capable of giving a talk on. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right? Yeah. 
Like I'm, I'm fairly capable of doing what I do uh, as a profession, but I'm not particularly excited about many of those things. And and for everything that I probably could do an okay talk on that maybe I'm not that excited about, there's somebody who could do better uh, because maybe because they are excited about it, or maybe because well, more likely because they're a better speaker than I am. But you know, and I was like, I was submitting talks, not that many, but I was submitting them, and they weren't getting picked up and. I was just like, I don't know, it, that always uh, gets me down, even though you, it's like a thing where you you need to be prepared for rejection there, and I am prepared for rejection, but it still isn't nice. Uh, yeah. You can't make that a nice experience. Being prepared for rejection doesn't make rejection mm-hmm. enjoyable, right? Right. So I pretty much gave up and, and stopped. If I do come up with something like that I feel is a really good idea and I'd like to give, I'd probably just start pitching it again. But yeah, at the minute, I'm not that bothered. And and I've never been that successful anyway, so I'm not really the kind of person to be able to give out uh, advice uh, on the topic. But you, you you can. You've given loads and loads of talks now. I've been to lots of different conferences. So Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I thought your, the, the Symphony Live talk that you gave I thought that one was was well received on the peach the mockery. Is it? Well, yeah. To be honest, my talks have been okay. I've, I've I've not received too much negative feedback from them. Uh, but yeah, I'm just not like I say. I'm not all that bothered. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I, someone asked me recently, like, why I got into it or whatever, or how I got into it. And I think that for me, the big thing was just finding people who like to geek out about things. <laughs> you know, I mean, I like I've had coworkers in the past that I'd love to keep in contact with, and I've always done this stuff because I enjoy it. And you know, I do extra things like podcasts and, and whatever. Since then, you know, since I've started doing more community-oriented things, and when I think of community, I just think of people online who have similar interests that actually like to not even necessarily go above and beyond just daily work, but who have a passion about it and want to talk about it more than just, you know, when you're sitting next to them at the office. And almost everybody I've worked with in the past has been like that. Like, I I can't think of a lot of people that I've worked with that want to go and experiment with something at night or, you know, try to do something over the weekend or don't want to work on their work during the day because they have other things they want to be playing with or trying out or doing, um, which this isn't necessarily healthy. <laughs> that last one's not necessarily healthy. And it's a thing that I, I struggle with sometimes, but, you know, going to conferences and being able to like interact with other people who are there because they want to learn more than they know now or want to share more than or they just want to share, period. You know, speaking is very much about sharing your experiences and sharing what you've learned. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I I think that's what I get the most. I get the most out of that. Um, and I just I just don't get that otherwise. I don't know. I mean, you, you, you work from home. Um, I've worked from home, and I just felt very isolated. And the speaking stuff just... I don't know. I, I once I started doing it, I really, really liked it and mm. liked sharing and liked putting myself in a position where you know I definitely isn't comfortable for me. You know, to be be talking in front of people and 
was something I never thought I would ever do, but I, I do like it. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I like I say I like doing it. When I mm-hmm. the few times I have spoke, I've enjoyed the experience at the conference. A little bit of the talking, but more because of the the way uh, being a speaker plugs you in. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only do you get to talk to all the other speakers and things like the speakers' dinner, and you're already introduced to those people before the conference starts, usually. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the way other people approach you as well, um, it it gives people a reason to approach you. Yeah, uh, which makes you know talking to everyone easier, basically, because everyone's got a way to come and approach mm-hmm. you about something. Uh, so yeah, I, I've enjoyed it. I just don't really see myself as being particularly good at it, or or having a lot to that I'm excited about doing. And if you're not excited about it, it's very hard to to do it. Um, and if, yeah. if I can't get excited about the topics, then I'm probably not going to do a very good job. So I'm yeah. not that that fussed. Uh, so yeah, yeah. So I guess um, with respect to what what Kelvin was asking about is like you you feel like. I mean, it's, it, what, what I'm picking up is that you feel like you were pitching talks that no one was selecting, and yeah, um, I'm. Well, firstly, I, I mean, I know I, I know some people like submit. How many how many talks will you submit to the average conference? Between six and ten. Yeah, so I'm usually pitching two to three because I literally don't feel like I have that many things that I'm excited about talking about that I can come mm-hmm. up with that I feel are original or different or the kind of things that I would like to listen mm-hmm. to. And I know that's not necessarily the best way to go about it because there, you know, it's all about it's what other people would want to listen to rather than what you'd want to listen to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, so, I don't know. Yeah, I, I know that as far as what kind of t- talks work, I was pitching the unglue the all unglue all the things talk for like what five years. <laughs> mm. Like it, it really was a long time that that one has been on the list, and I think I went through a small period of time where I didn't do it anymore um, because either I was realizing I was kind of going away from that line of thinking. Or because I um, got tired of getting rejected by it, um, and uh, yeah, so I like as far as what kind of what types of talks work. I don't know. It, it. I think that the best, the most fun that I've had and the most success I've had was when I've tried to pay attention to the theme of a of a conference. Like if a conference says it has a theme, um, like I did the. Uh, when I did my big sculpting talk, that was specifically because Forum PHP had said that they wanted to talk about building cool things with PHP. Like, what can you do with PHP that you couldn't do two years ago or five years ago? There are things that people just weren't really, you know, able to do or thinking or considering was possible with PHP. So that was a lot of fun trying to come up with a talk that was specifically for that sort of market or that sort of crowd. And then last year, there. Um, last year, I did a talk uh, proposal for Hawk for PHP Tour Luxembourg, which was uh, something about in the clouds, PHP in the clouds, and it was really the only talk that I had that, or even had an idea about, which was for you know cloud sort of things. You know, it was like authentication layers and whatnot, with with building REST APIs that would live in the cloud, and so that one got accepted, and I really think that those two got accepted specifically because I 
paid attention to what the, the theme was. Um, and I think that that can help quite a lot. I've been having trouble with the, the symphony live conferences because I, I, I'm sort of symphony adjacent. You know, I work inside, I've worked in Silex. I, you write Sculpin, which was using some symphony components, but I don't do a lot with symphony directly. Like I don't feel like a symphony developer. Um, and when I look at submitting to those conferences and see what actually gets taken, it's been really weird. Um, because it's all like fringe projects, like stack was very much not like Sensio didn't really buy into stack right away. So that was kind of like on the edge and the decomposing talk, uh, decomposer talk that I gave got picked up at like two symphony lives last year <laughs> because it was composer related, but it was also more on the enterprisey side potentially of trying to figure out how to use composer in different environments than just open source projects. Um, so it's like looking at the audience, you might not always uh, know what you're going to pitch. Um, just looking at other conferences or like looking at past years to see what was selected sometimes can be helpful as well. But sometimes I just get surprised. Like I honestly feel surprised a lot when I get selected at a Symphony Live conference just because it's like just on the edge of Symphony, <laughs> you know, barely there. Uh, which I guess is probably true with your, your project as well with Mockery, right? Was that... How much did that have to do with Symphony? Uh, very little. Um, but, um, I seem to recall when they asked me to do it, they said, if you can sort of uh, do any kind of uh, leaning towards Symphony. Um, mm -hmm. So basically what I did was I I used Symphony examples um, mm -hmm. to, to prove my theory, as it were, uh, mm -hmm. which worked well enough for me anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, generally, I mean... A lot of the talks, I've, I'm the same as you. I've, I've, I've barely ever worked in the Symphony, at least in the full stack framework. Mm -hmm. I, I, I've lived in and around the components for a long time, uh, mostly through Silex. But yeah, mm -hmm. I get that. Uh, but then you want that as well. You know, you go into any kind of conference like that. And I always like the fringe talks as much as I like the ones that are nailed on the theme of the conference. So yeah. So yeah. yeah. And uh, some conferences are just hard because. Like PHP World is hard because it's just a general PHP conference, but general amongst, you know, vertical stacks. <laughs> they have like a, a Symphony, Symphony track and they have a Zen track and they have a, a Joomla track and a WordPress track. And so in there, it's just sort of like, well, just submit anything really. Um, so some, so it's not always as easy as like picking the right theme. Sometimes you just gotta, you gotta do whatever. Um, and I think, you know, I, I, there, there's even the idea that, that I know we've looked at with like the, the, the content marketing stuff where you're not supposed to make little tweaks to things. Is that one of the things that people say? Like, don't, don't get caught up in changing the shade of blue or, you know, if you're going to make a change to see if it actually impacts traffic, make a big change. Mm. Um, like with abstracts like that, like if you get rejected once, it doesn't necessarily mean the abstract was bad. It just may not have fit the theme. If you get rejected for like a year and 12 conferences, then maybe it's just a rubbish talk. But, you know, then if you look at like, like some of the talks that I've given that I pitched for three years before someone takes it, it's like, oh, well, it just wasn't ready yet. Like the audience wasn't there. I've, I've talked a lot with the um, U.S. conference organizers, like, about why the my event sourcing stuff isn't picked up 
um, because I was just curious. Like, like I've been flown to Europe like on several occasions to give tutorials on event sourcing, but none of that gets picked up in the states. And it's like I could drive to Chicago for PHP Tech and give an event sourcing tutorial, but they don't pick it. Why? I, and, and it's not because I'm saying you should pick my talk because it's awesome. I want to find out why. Like, what? Why are these trends here? You know? Yeah. Um, and it's something that I've sort of seen is that in Europe. There's a lot of talks that 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 tend to, to lead in lean in the direction of like uh, hardcore DDD event sourcing CQRS like this really like like stuff big stuff that's changing that PHP as a whole isn't doing um, and in the US it seems like they're much more reserved on that because um, across the board nobody's talking about it and what I was told was nobody's asking for it. The people looking at it don't know what it is. So, like the the people who are um, judging the talks to see if they're going to going to do it, if they don't know what it is, they're not going to be interested in, in bringing it on. So, if, like if people aren't talking about it in the states at all, if they see that something come across that's like, oh well, I have no idea what this is, they're just going to forget about it. Um, and nobody else is submitting on it. Uh, so, if I'm the only one submitting event sourcing talks they're going to not see that as a good thing because there isn't, it's not a competition thing. It's just that there aren't enough people doing it that it's, it's going to actually have a following that anyone else is going to care. So it was interesting. So I'm like, all right, I guess I just need to keep submitting until some other people submit as well. Um, or until it starts to get a little more popular. Um, so, I mean, there's all, all sorts of things that, that seem to come into play when figuring out what sort of talks will work and which ones don't. You know, and like you said, it's, it really matters if you, you're passionate about it or if it's interesting to you. Um, one of the things, uh, that we talked, uh, I talked, was talking with, uh, Marco, uh, Acramius, or I don't know how he pronounces his, his Twitter handle, um, about how he's, he's not excited about PHP conferences either because there's nothing really interesting happening. But I think that, that as a speaker and as someone who does a lot of this stuff, we sometimes forget that we're, we've seen it all, right? Because we, we keep going to these things so that the new stuff that comes in happens slowly. Whereas people who are going to the conference for the first time ever, like at Symphony Live London, that was the first time they'd ever been there. Almost everybody there that was their first time, even if that, if there had been a talk that was sort of new or, you know, you'd seen six times because they'd given it in, in six different conferences, those people all saw it for the first time. Um, it's, I think it can be hard if you're trying to do the speaking thing and trying to think, well, I got to do something unique and interesting and different. Sometimes we got to keep doing the basics because people are going there to, to learn things that you might have known for two years and now you're bored with it. <laughs> Oh yeah, I get, I get that. I, yeah. I, you see it all the time. You see really experienced folk doing introduction talks, and you're yep. like, "Well, they've been, they could have delivered that talk five years ago." Mm-hmm. You know, that's. It's, uh, I, I get that, and mm-hmm. I feel like I could do that, but I don't really want to. It doesn't yeah. really interest me, um, mm-hmm. which is my fault. You know, I'm so maybe maybe a bit selfish in that I, I don't really want to do a talk that I'm interested in doing, but at the same time, it, that's a good thing. Uh, you know, because. Who wants to? Who wants a speaker who doesn't really care about the talk they're giving? Um, yeah. So no, no, and it, it makes a lot of sense. And I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not even talking about this necessarily for you. Kind of sharing mm-hmm. for other people who might be thinking about this. 
Uh, um, I I understood that as well. Yeah, yeah like 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 Kelvin. You know, I actually talked to him about it once on on Twitter, and we actually met in person. Did you know that? Nope. Yeah, he um uh he came over when we had our yard sale. Because uh, it turns out he was in Gloucester, <laughs> so right. he he was less than a half hour drive away the whole time I was there, and I never realized it. So no, I, I think it was in Gloucester. It was Gloucester? No, he might have actually been in Cheltenham. Anyway, he was very close, so he came, yeah. he came over and uh, he actually uh, bought my TV from me, which was awesome. Thank you, <laughs> Kelvin, because <laughs> uh, I was giving away pretty much everything for very, 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 very. Uh, yeah, very very decent prices, um, but yeah. So he he needed a new TV or, or another TV at any rate. Um, so he came over and we got to talk about it a little bit. But he, you know, we we had talked about doing talk things on um, DM, so that I wasn't necessarily surprised that he wanted to hear us talk about this and sort of find a, like why do people do it? Why like what kind of talks do people want to hear? What kind of talks are there? Is there a need for? Um, yeah, or just what, how to be excited about it, or if you, if it's something someone wants to do. Yeah. Mm. So I can give a little bit of practical advice. Um, I can't remember the actual name for it, but when I try and write the like the proposals, I always go for that. Um, the problem, the dream, the, sol- the solution, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I do a paragraph for each. So mm-hmm. the first paragraph, I try and describe a problem of some kind second paragraph i try and describe the dream situation and then the third paragraph i kind of try and describe how my talk is going to get us somewhere near the dream and move us away well move move us away from the problem closer to to the dream um and also isn't there some sort of website now where you can submit your proposals for sort of crowd review yeah uh there's help me abstract there we go so that's a bit of practical advice there is a little less theoretical or Mm-hmm. emotional i guess yeah yeah and um as far as like how do you refine them definitely get input from other people um i sort of i don't often use the help me abstract thing i i generally go directly to some people mm-hmm. um i mean if you have a network and definitely like kelvin or people like kelvin will hopefully feel comfortable coming to either of us to say hey i'm thinking about doing a talk how does this sound because um, I send you stuff all the time. Um, the the last talk that I got really excited about that I submitted for Sunshine PHP, um, I think I had uh, uh, Mark Bottolato. Is it? <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, he he happened to be around that night, so I got in some input from him, and then um, I got some input from a friend of mine, Dima, in Portland. And so, like, I was like writing at real time and like sending them like, oh, how does this sound? And how does this sound? And uh, ended up, I think I ended up sending it to you. Um, the, the final version because you were you were out or it was like you know three a.m. for you or whatever, um, mm-hmm. but that that can that can usually go pretty well, especially if you do if you have time to do like a real time, you know, not not necessarily real time, but like even like IRC real time, you know, I'll check again in ten minutes and say, oh yeah, that looks great or whatever. Yeah, um, that and then, can be helpful. And then I think the advice a lot of people give is uh, don't shoot straight for the conferences. Uh, go to meetups and do talks at meetups because mm-hmm. it gives you some experience and it just, you're just able to do it. A lot of the, um, even the conference sort of submission forms, the CFP things, usually a note somewhere to say, have you given this talk before? And mm-hmm. if you just say you're giving it a couple of meetup groups, they're probably, you know, 
looks really good that you've done that rather than it being a fresh talk or being yeah. a completely fresh speaker. Mm-hmm. Some more yeah, I think, advice. I think that can, I mean, that's, that's great advice. Um, I think that if you're excited about it, you could still submit it to conferences anyway. I mean, you could submit it to conferences and meetups and maybe yeah. you'll get lucky. Like I know I got lucky going to Portland, Symphony Live Portland in 2013. I, did, I hadn't given a talk anywhere else before. Uh, yeah, but I'd too. also been <laughs> I'd also been rejected by four conferences prior to that one, and I was ready to never ever try to do any sort of speaking thing ever again because <laughs> uh, I had four rejections, and then the, the finally got the good one at the end, where I was like, "Oh, I guess I get to go." Um, but yeah, I, I think that doing meetups first is good. I think that submitting to meetups and conferences at the same time probably isn't a, a, a bad idea. Mm. The thing that I've I guess the thing that I've learned as far as refining abstracts is that sometimes talks change. Um, like I, like I had the same abstract for unglue all the things for five years. And once I finally delivered it or once I finally wrote it, it was different than maybe the abstract had intended or it, it definitely had changed my opinions on things. So it didn't really match very well. Um, so I actually started to get, uh, not negative feedback, but medium feedback on the talk was great. The talk was really good, but it was not at all what I expected. And mm. I realized that it was because the abstract didn't necessarily fit the talk anymore. And I think I ran into the same problem with the Hawk talk, uh, because I think that people, I, I don't really know what went wrong with that talk, but that was the worst rated talk I've ever given. <laughs> Even though I, I wrote I basically hand wrote it specifically for um, that theme. Um, the The actual talk itself ended up not being at all what people expected when they walked in the door. Mm. So that that's a case of either trying to get the conference organizers to switch it. Uh, if you realize that and rewrite the abstract and say it's changed a little bit, you know, I, I've never done that. And I probably should have in, in a couple of cases where I've realized that and then later found out that, you know, people weren't happy with it. Um, I actually rewrote the abstracts for unglue all the things. And I think I got you, you to help me with that and sign off on that uh, to talk because I think the original one talked about practical examples on how to do this stuff right. <laughs> There's some some uh, arrogant thing that I thought was going to be awesome. When it was, when there was no practical anything in that talk at all, nothing practical. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I rewrote it and I think that in general, I think people will be more happy going to a talk like that once you realize that the abstract fits the talk better. So, yeah, of course. So, uh, we're getting on for a bit of time. Yeah. Anything else you want to add on that subject? No, I don't, I don't think so, other than if anyone at all, and I, I know there's a bunch of people in the community who will throw this out there, but if anyone is at all even slightly interested in getting into this, by all means, feel free to email us, find us on Twitter, send us your abstracts, send us your ideas, and well, like, I, you're always helpful to me to, to actually you know, help me with this stuff, even if you're not necessarily interested in doing it yourself. Um, I know I am. I, I wish uh, I could help more people do this as well because I think it's a great thing to actually do. I think I think I get a lot out of it um, doing the speaking thing and yeah, so I think more people should do it if they want to. Cool. Cool. So uh, I'll tell you what, I'll do one last thing off topic. Right. I'm going to go play my PlayStation. I picked <laughs> up a PlayStation 4. I was getting very sort of missing the times uh, maybe 
maybe about five years ago um, mm. when I was playing a lot of Call of Duty with friends and it was literally every night. It was like we all we'd all sort of we we were still friends, but we don't see each other anywhere near as much as we used to. Um and it was like socializing every night with them to be ten of us playing Call of Duty together. Uh and I was a bit I was missing that, so I thought and there's actually a new Call of Duty game coming out next month, so I thought, right. And I went and got a PlayStation 4 and I started playing games and I was like, why haven't haven't I been playing games? <laughs> I enjoyed it so much. I played um Uncharted 4. Have you seen that? A Thief's End? I've heard about, it. yeah. It's kind of like a Tomb Raider style. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoyed that. And then I picked up, I finished that, and then I got picked up uh, the new uh, or newish uh, Metal Gear Solid. You ever played those games? I played one of them, yeah, on PS3, I think, or PS2, maybe even. <laughs> it's really good, but it's so different from Uncharted. Uncharted's a bit more arcade like and mm-hmm. a bit more fun, whereas like Metal Metal Gear, I actually get anxious playing it just because <laughs> it's kind of like because there's no save. You can't just save whenever you like, you have to reach mm-hmm. a checkpoint. You know, to, and sometimes it can take you a long time to get to the checkpoint, depending mm-hmm. on how well you want to do. Uh, and I get anxious because of that. You know, like if I think I've spent an hour and a half on this, I really don't want to die now because it's, yeah. it's, it's getting, it's like half past midnight. I'm getting kind of tired. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm sneaking around and, and yeah, I enjoy it, but it's like I say, it's a little bit more stressful than, than playing Uncharted. So. So yeah, did you, did you get the big Star Wars game, whatever that big multiplayer? No, I mean just basically because I've kind of missed the boat on it a little oh. bit. It was a few years, a few months ago it came out, and the reviews have all been fairly average, I think. Oh. Uh, so I just thought I'd concentrate on playing a couple of uh, single player games. Oh, well, oh. not necessarily single player games, but I've been playing games that have got really good reviews. So cool. that's what I've been trying to do anyway. So these two games that I've played are very highly regarded. So. Very cool. Yeah. Sounds like fun. We I found my PlayStation 3. I, I think, I don't know if it's broken or if I was just annoyed because it sounded like a jet engine every yeah. time I turned it on. Um, yeah, they, they are loud. And, and the thing is, um, they're so cool in terms of all the apps you can install. You know, because at the minute we have downstairs, I've got uh, a Now TV box, which is kind of like a Roku. I've got a Fire TV stick. We have our satellite box. And... I actually now have the the PlayStation that can kind of do Netflix, Amazon, uh, Now TV, all these kind of things in one box. But it kind of annoys me that I have to fire up this behemoth to to do some simple things, you know, that the yeah. Fire TV stick kind of manages on its own. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah, it, it was it was my Blu-ray player for a long time. So I did anything Blu-ray or DVD through my PlayStation Three, and eventually I just got tired of that because it was a pain mm. but i don't know luke's getting older now i don't know if i actually want to get him into <laughs> console gaming but there's a little bit of that that tempts me i also oh, have yeah. a wii that i haven't opened up in like our kids play know, our kids play the wii a little bit they've been yeah. playing uh, mario kart and occasionally nice. play a little bit of wii sports um rowan's played the demo for star wars lego the force awakens mm. on my playstation Mm-hmm. And he always, he, I made the mistake once of showing him my game when I was playing Uncharted. Mm-hmm. And now he, he he asks to, if he can mm-hmm. watch me play my game. And I'm like, mm, I mean, I just feel <laughs> bad. I can't do it. Yeah. Because <laughs> he'll sit there, happily sit there and watch me play my PlayStation. 
yeah. like he's watching a TV show, you know, and I just feel that that's not good parenting. Uh, I enjoy <laughs> it because it means I get to play my game and he's quiet, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, nice. and of course, uh, Metal Gear Solid is a little bit more violent as well, you know, you're mm-hmm. sneaking up behind people and slitting throats. It's not really, probably not the best to, <laughs> to be showing the three year old, yeah, but yeah, nice. All right. Well, hopefully we can get on track again and do some more recording in the near future. So this isn't the, the last one for the year. <laughs> yep. Hope hope not. Anyway. So it's really good talking to you. All right. That's a wrap. You've been listening to That Podcast with Bo and Dave. You can find Bo on Twitter and Google Plus at Bo Simonson and Dave on Twitter at Dave Development. You can subscribe to this podcast and review it on iTunes. If you'd like to review us but don't feel like we've earned five stars, email us so that we can talk about your issues. You can also subscribe to this podcast with RSS from our website, thatpodcast.io. From our website, you can also sign up for our newsletter to get super secret extra content from Bo and Dave sent directly to your inbox. Like the music? You can thank Gorillo for allowing us to sample the track Dust Kingdom for our intro and outro. You can find Dust Kingdom and other tracks by Grillo at grillo.bandcamp.com, spelled G-R-I-L-L-O. 